into it. This is lesson four on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Today, we're going to take our text from Luke chapter 23. In verse number, we're going to start reading in verse number 39 and go down to verse 43. It says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. So this is, will be a very simple message here today. And uh, I, I had much deeper things that I wanted to say on this, but it just felt like in, in prayer yesterday morning that the Lord just kept prompting me to, to, to talk about this. But first of all, let me just blanket this with saying, aren't you glad that Jesus still saves repentant sinners. I was so thankful for that today. The power of the blood has never lost its efficacy. It is just as effective now as it was when they lifted their hands on the day of Pentecost and they heard that sound as of a rushing mighty wind. It's just as effective today as it was in that day. It has not changed because it's 2021 because we're in the middle of, or on the backside of a pandemic, now at least it looks like we might be coming out of it. There's hope for the future at least. Um, and a lot of other bad things have happened over the past several years, but the power of the blood is still real. Amen. But we don't know much about these two thieves. We don't know their names. Uh, Luke calls them male factors, of course, but in other places it does identify them as they were hanging because they were thieves. Now, this doesn't mean I, I stole, you know, your watch type of a thief or I stole your lunch. This means, you know, the worst of the worst kind of thief. But just that one that joined uh, the mocking and the other, just one joined the mocking and the other asked for a pardon. And he got it moments before he would face eternity. Now, that's a miracle in and of itself. That, 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 that thief, you know, it's almost ridiculous you know, to think, it, to me, it's almost a ridiculous sounding idea that a man who has lived his whole life, as far as we know, without much thought about God, again, as, as far as we know, I want to read into the text, but we don't know much about his upbringing. We can only assume that he was a thief most of his life. Now he's at the place where he got caught for what he did. And, and suddenly God becomes a thought in his mind. And he realizes that soon he will face eternity he will face judgment. And in that moment, I don't even know if he was necessarily expecting Jesus to come up with such a quick pardon. Lord, remember me at some point in the future when you come into your kingdom, was his thinking. And in that moment, as quickly as he made the request, it was all forgiven in a single moment of time. That's grace. From Psalms 40, the, the King David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. King David said, I was in a place, I was in a pit. I was in a miry pit. I was in a place that my own feet could not get me out of. 
And I prayed and I waited and I prayed and I waited and suddenly deliverance came to me. That's like Israel or Jacob on his deathbed when he said, I have waited. When he, when he looked at Judah and he prophesied over Judah and then he said this, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. That word salvation in the Hebrew means Yeshua. If you were to say the name of Jesus in Hebrew, you would say Yeshua. It's the exact pronunciation. So everywhere in your King James Bible or any Bible where it uses the word salvation in the Old Testament, properly translated, that's Yeshua. And it means or would be translated from the Hebrew. Of course, Jesus is, is from the Greek, Iusis. Uh, but if we were to say it in Hebrew, we, were, we would say Yeshua. And that's, that's how they said it. And so whenever he was saying, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord, he was saying, I'm waiting for Jesus. I'm waiting for the Messiah to come. Amen. Whenever David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, the Lord is my light and my Jesus. Praise God. You ought to read your Bible like that sometime. Everywhere in Psalms where it uses salvation, replace it with Jesus. It'll be a great revelation. Jesus said, the scriptures are they which testify of me. They were talking about Jesus. That's what David was really waiting for. It's what Jacob was waiting for. But there's, there's more to this than we often realize because Jesus does not just come to save us from this life. But he comes to save us not just to give us peace and joy and hope in this life, but he's come to abolish death. He came to abolish us. Now, we know people that have died. Even in this pandemic, people this very morning have died. Somewhere on planet Earth they've died. So obviously death is not abolished yet. But it will be in a future time. And also, in a sense, you know, it's not completely abolished. I don't want to say that. But in a sense, the fear and the sting of death has been taken away. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says this, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Now, he's speaking of it as if it's already happened. There are many things that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, as if it's already happened. So, you know, I may be wrong, but that's how I look at it. Now, we know for sure um, that it hasn't already happened because obviously people have died. So, but there's a sense in which that this has happened, that he has abolished death in the sense that he's taken away the sting of death or the fear of death. Uh, but it's also the prophecy which will be completed completely fulfilled at the rapture of the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, we want to let Scripture interpret Scripture. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Let me tell you, it... It's taken God so far several thousand years to get us to this point. But you know how long it's going to take him to fulfill that promise? The twinkling of an eye. There are many twinkles in a, in a blinkle. <laughs> Not the blink of an eye, but the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, we shall be changed. 
And when we, when we look around and we see the words of Jesus that he said would happen in the last days being fulfilled, we ought to look up and look for our redemption and know that it is ever so closer than it has ever been before. And no legislation by Congress can stop that promise. Because there is a higher court that has decreed that it will come to pass before the worlds were created. And it will surely come to pass one of these days. It will happen so quickly, you won't have time to say goodbye, my friend. You won't have time to wave goodbye. You won't have time to text all your friends, I'm going, I'll see you later. It will be just like that, quicker than that. We'll be on this earth one day, and the very next moment, we'll be with the, with the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We ought to spend some time sometimes meditating and musing upon that and, and not wondering if it will happen, but, but pronouncing that it will absolutely happen in God's perfect timing. It's sometimes difficult to, to remember that God has a plan, and he is working out his plan. At a particular time in my life when things were not working very well at all, I went to the Lord and I asked God, Lord, what? I just, sometimes I just get real honest with God, okay? I said, Lord, what in the world are you doing? And, you know, I have learned that if you're not angry or copying an attitude with it, he, he'll, he'll, he'll answer you a lot of times. But, but if you're, you know, if, if you ask in faith and, and if you're honest with the Lord, then, then he will answer. But if you cop an attitude, then he sometimes won't. <laughs> sometimes leave in your ignorance. And the Lord spoke to me just like that. And he said this, clear as I've ever heard his voice, I am working out my plan for you right now. That's what he said. And I look around, I didn't see anything going on. Lord, you must be working in the dark. And God said, now you've got it. (laughs) And we laugh about that, but it's really true that God does his best work in the dark. Now think about this, from where did the whole concept of the universe and salvation begin? When God was all by himself, before there was light, there was God. Before there was light, there was a plan. And that plan was redemption that was conceived in the mind of God that there would be a savior for mankind. And down through the ages of time, the Lord saw that he would have to come to a bloody hill and walk up that bloody hill with the cross on his beaten back. And have nails put in his hands. And he saw that thief on the cross. That he would ask for repentance in his last, with his last literally dying words. And the Lord saw that that, that that thief would be. You know when you think about this. About all the times that that thief was not thinking about God. God was like I know what's going to happen in the end. I know this is all going to end well. Sometimes we don't see how it's going to end. We don't even see the, the present clearly most of the time. But God sees everything. Amen. In a single moment, Jesus rewrote that thief's entire life story. In a very similar way, this is all of us. We lived our whole lives, many of us, without pursuing God in any way we wanted. Lived any way we wanted. And if you, were, if you lived for God from a young age, then you have to know that if it had not been for the Lord, you would have lived your life any way you wanted. We committed crimes against God by which we should suffer the death penalty for and eternal punishment. We were dying in our sins and we were without any hope and without God in this world until Jesus came along. He's the only one who has any answers to all the world's questions today. 
There are a lot of questions the world is asking right now. People are searching. They're digging for answers. But the answer is not in government and it's not in legislation. The answer is in the Lamb of God. And then somebody picked up the pen. I believe it was Lanny Wolf many years ago. And they wrote the words to this old song. Some of you may remember it. The verse goes like this. Some men tried so hard to prove that God's not really real. While others say they know for sure his love you cannot feel. But I know it's real within my soul. From one day he cleansed and made me whole. And Jesus is still the answer for the longing deep in your soul. The chorus goes like this. Jesus is still the answer. And though time and ages rose, Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. And though some may say he doesn't fit with their philosophy, they're still saying that, aren't they? But I know that Jesus is still the answer. He's always been and he always will be. There is a man, there is a man right now in the heavens named Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, that is waiting for the right time to come to step in and rule this world with his church and, 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 and give all the answers. And everything will be solved in that day. The lion's gonna lay down by the lamb. Amen. The Bible says that the child will play on the hole of the snake. There's not gonna be any death or fear. Men will live hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And it will be a glorious day when that time comes, when the curse is finally removed. But man has tried as he will. We've tried legislation and government. We've tried different leaders and we've tried everything that we know to do. But nothing works because the answer is not in man. It's not in himself. Whatever the question is, whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, Jesus is the answer. Our world today is faced with many problems and crises. We've got diseases and pandemics. We've got diseases that you've never heard of before. Diseases that do awful things to children. We've got hunger and thirst still in many places in our world today. We've got many religious conflicts and wars and terrorism all over the globe. We've got abortions and babies being murdered in the womb, which should be the safest place. But now it is absolutely not. We've got crime rate that is continually rising ever, a drug, suicide among teenagers, and now is now it has been for multiple decades a major leading cause of death among teenagers. Hospitals are full. Sentences are usually uh, high. Since hospital censuses are unusually high right now. I know this because I work in the healthcare industry. It's probably not true everywhere, but at least for HCA, many of our facilities are at capacity right now, and they've even got patients in uh, in hallways. I heard from one particular hospital just this week. They said we don't have any more beds. We've, we're putting patients in the hallways. This is this is what has happened in our world today. We've got politicians, many of them, not all, but many of them are crooked. We've got many many political leaders taking bribes from foreign countries and whose hearts are black with sin. We have enough nuclear power to blow up the entire world many times over and probably a few neighboring stars. We're in a mess. We are in a mess. And no matter what happens, man cannot and will not ever answer that question. This world is a broken and a, in a broken and a bruised state. And yet, 2,500 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said this. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's from Isaiah 53. 
He hath borne every grief. It doesn't matter what the grief is. It doesn't matter what the sorrow. It doesn't matter what the problem is. He bore it all on his sin, on his body on Calvary. He bore anxiety, grief, calamity, disease, sickness. He carried it all up that hill. Everything you struggle with has already been borne on his body on the cross. As I said, you know, just a few minutes ago, Satan doesn't own anything. It's all stolen property. And just like David, when he returned from that one particular battle and, and, and his wives and his land had been taken, the Bible says David pursued the enemy. And that's what we need to do in this hour. We don't need to go on defense. We need to go on offense. Amen. The devil doesn't have anything. He doesn't own anything. Contrary, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, all are yours. Everything. Whatever you need, it's yours. All you've got to do is claim it and believe it. That's not a blab it and grab it. That's a name and a claim it. That's in the word of God. Claim it. Believe it. And, and God will surely give it to you. The name of Jesus is the answer for every race, every tribe, every nation, every person. The thief searched his entire life and finally found what he looked for for free. What a contradiction. He thought it needed to be stolen. doesn't need to be stolen. It just needs to be received in faith. The grace of God is free and available. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It has appeared. It appeared in the first century, and it is still appearing today. No matter what nation or race or people or tribe or language, the grace of God has appeared. The thief got what he did not deserve and so much more. Now, let's talk about this word paradise for about two and a half minutes. Paradise, as in when Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise, from the Greek is garden. It's used to signify a place of exquisite pleasure. From this, the ancient heathens borrowed, that is the Greeks, borrowed the idea of the gardens of Hesperides, where the trees bore golden fruit. And the gardens of Adonis, a word which is evidently derived from the Hebrew word Eden, and hence the origin of sacred groves and gardens and other enclosures dedicated to pleasures, devotion, and delight. It's the same word Paul used in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said this, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or other body, I cannot tell, God knows, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for, me, for man to utter. So Paul said, I was in the spirit. He's probably likely talking about himself. And he said, I, my, my spirit was caught up into the third heaven. And so that was, he used the word paradise. Here in unspeakable words, which are not lawful to be uttered, I have no idea what that is. But it is also the same place that Jesus referenced in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. When Jesus said this, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. In the Old Testament, of course, he references Abraham's bosom. In the Old Testament, laying one's head on the bosom or the chest was another form of symbolic of comfort. You would be comforted. Remember whenever John laid his head on the bosom of Jesus, it was com- he was comforting him, and it was a place of comfort. So Lazarus was comforted in this place of paradise. Now, the question then is asked, how many want to go to paradise? Most of us. I assume you all do. The question is, have you ever just got a longing for heaven? For, for you know, We kind of always have that, but have you ever just been, man... I just want to be there now. I just want to know what it's like. The question is this. How could we long for a place that we have never been to before? 
And there's an old song that answers that question that just says, if Jesus is there, it will be heaven for me. Because the Bible says this, that when you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that that was the earnest of your inheritance. In other words, if you've bought a house, you know you have to put a down payment. It's what, 15, 20%, something like that when you buy a house is typically what they want. And so, so it's, 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 it's money that says, I'm giving you this now because I'm showing you that I'm committed to buying this house. And so I'm giving you this money now. And so whenever God gave us the Holy Spirit, it's a little bit of taste of what heaven's going to be like. Because heaven is not about streets of gold, although there will be that. Heaven is not about all the beautiful scenery and sights and flowers and gardens or whatever it is that heaven has. Heaven is not just about a city that is four square, that is high as it is long. But heaven is so much more than that. It is about the glory and the power and the presence of God being beyond what this body can contain. Think about the best time you've ever had in prayer. You know, the time where maybe when you first received the baptism of the Spirit. And, and, and yet, when we get to heaven, it's going to be so much greater than that. And that is what it is going to be like, my friend. I'm looking forward to going to that place one day. Let's stand to our feet today. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. And let's thank God for that, that we've got a hope beyond this life. We don't have to fear death. Amen. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Amen. Come on, let your voices out for a moment.